This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com slash above. Season two of Above and Beyond, episode number one, is going to introduce you to Jake Locker. And Jake's a guy that I feel like I've known for a long, long time. Mostly because, well, I grew up in Washington, as did he. I grew up a Husky fan, and so did he. I grew up in a really tight-knit community, strong family, a wonderful dad that poured into me, and so did Jake. I watched Jake as a fan. I got to cover him as an analyst. I got to know him a bit on and certainly off the field, but I never knew him the way that we're all going to get to experience over the next hour where he really talks about his life and the transformation of his life from being a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. And as authentic as that relationship became, he walked away from the NFL. Why? How? Here's Jake Locker. Jake, what a blast to have you here. Episode 1, Season 2 of Above and Beyond. You grew up a couple hours north of Seattle, a farm town, Ferndale. How would you characterize your upbringing? It was characterized by um, hard work, and I think that's something that um, was preached from the time I can remember, um, that uh, whatever you did, you did it to the best of your ability, and um, and you left it better than you found it. And um, that was, you know, I can still hear my dad telling me those things. Um, constantly, no matter what it was, I was playing sport, helping him clean up in the yard, helping him on a job site. It was always about what you could control, and that was your effort and your attitude. Brothers, sisters? Two younger sisters. So you're just the lone boy, lots of cousins, lots of influence, a lot of lockers in the Ferndale community where you've ultimately set roots. But you were the oldest in the family with two younger sisters. Yep. And was there a responsibility of being the oldest, of being the firstborn? I think so. I think that, uh, you know, you experience things differently. You're the first to experience a lot of things. And, you know, in, in our house, being that I was the only boy, there was a different expectation as well. Um, you know, I, I was never under any circumstances allowed to hit my sisters. Um, that was not allowed, no matter what they did. Um, that was a, a, a rule, not just because I was the first kid, but because I was the only boy. Um, it didn't matter what they did. Under no circumstances was it okay for me to hit my sisters, and and my dad was serious about that. Um, respecting my mom was a was a huge thing. Uh, so I think not only being the first kid, but the only boy, there you know how I interacted uh, with those in my family was was different. Not that my parents didn't expect my sisters to show respect to them; they did very much so. But I, you know, my dad always made a, a really strong point that I was. Um, conscious of being respectful and considerate um, to the women in my life. Respectful, work ethic, character, hard work preached consistently. Was there a faith component to that? Uh, you know, no, not really. Um, and, and my dad would tell you, uh, not from my dad, um, if anything, from my mom. She would uh, drag me kicking and screaming to Catholic church every once in a while. Uh, but honestly, I wanted to stay home and watch football with my dad. And, uh, so no, um, faith was not a, not spoken of in our home, but you know, the the crazy part is reflecting on it. Um, as I've matured in my journey, so many of the things that I got to experience growing up (laughs) allowed me to see the beauty of God's kingdom. 
um, a father that loved me unconditionally, a father that that praised me, that affirmed me, that 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 spoke confidence into me, that was always on my side. I experienced those things growing up, and that was just my dad doing doing what he knew best, right, and 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 trying to do his best by us, and um, you know, a mother that was full of grace and kindness and patience and understanding and. Um, I, I experienced all those things, and I think, you know, by the grace of God, I experienced those things, and it, it's it made my journey so much easier when I got to that point, and I really started to explore it personally. I could believe in a God that was all those things because I experienced it growing up, and so that it was really it was interesting for me to reflect on my childhood and go, you know, we weren't praying at night, we weren't opening the Bible and reading from Scripture, but my parents, the way they loved, was so consistent with how. Um, I feel loved by Christ that, uh, that was cool. Where do you think that came from for them? My mom, uh, grew up, uh, strong Catholic family and, and great love there as well. And so I think both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side, family was so important. You know, I think I look at our family dynamic and my dad's parents, uh, just two weeks ago, uh, celebrated their 62nd wedding anniversary. They have four children, um, that are all married and been married once, um, and all their grandkids uh, that have been married continue in that marriage. And, and um, not to say anything that, you know, it's just I think that's a, a rarity. And, you know, the, the same thing on my mom's side, just uh, um, this this family value. Um, I don't know. It, it was it's a unique. rarity, but it's a commitment. I mean, it's a commitment that that lineage is made, that family is going to be a priority. Yep, definitely. And it was in your home. Yeah, totally. Hundred um, percent. My dad did drywall um, his whole life. Um, still doing it today. And part of the reason that I believe my dad did that is because he was doing it, and we got to a point that he loved the freedom of the schedule that he didn't have to miss out on our lives. That he he could be flexible to the things we had going on, and and he was going to be heavily involved. And if that meant not maybe chasing a different career path, that was totally worth it to him. And I knew my dad, man, my dad was my best friend because he coached me in everything from the time I was a kid and he invested in me. He was there. Uh, my dad was, was there my whole life. So sports was a big part of it. Faith wasn't, this is the intersection of some faith and sports and faith is going to come, but sports from day one is a big part of it. Yeah. From the time I can remember, I loved it. Um, our, our family is a big sports family. Um, you talked about cousins and every gathering we had. That's all we did. We were playing football or pickle or home run derby or, you know, playing bat. We were doing whatever we could do outside with a ball. We were doing it. And that was our form of fun. You know, you couldn't get enough of it. Any way you could make up a game that somewhat resembled um, one of those three games, we were playing it. And we loved it and play it for hours. And dad coached and taught well as a mentor and a leader and as a coach. Yeah, definitely. My dad was hard. Um, probably the hardest coach I ever played for. Expected a lot. I think why I enjoyed playing for him so much was two things. I'm learning now that uh, the wisdom of my mother um, as they walked in relationship was so valuable to my dad. As as I get older, I you know learning things that I didn't know it's as amazing, a kid. Right, but. Uh, but just the times when, you know, my mom would speak truth into my dad and my dad would hear her and listen to her and, and respond. And I think that was special. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, 
you know, my dad did a great job of setting really high expectations, and especially on me. He, he And he was clear before we start. He said, hey, if, if I'm going to be your coach, he told me two things. He said, because because you're my son and because I think you're the best player, I'm going to hold you to a different standard than I hold other people to. And if you don't want that, then I'm not going to be your coach. As long as I was okay with that expectation, he kept coaching me. And, and he did. That wasn't just lip service. He did. And there was times I hated it. There was times I didn't want to ride home with him. But what my dad did a great job of doing was coming back and uh, helping me understand. Um, when, I, when he knew I was frustrated, he would take the time in the car, not to pour it on, but he'd go, Jake, this is why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I care about you. And if this is something that you care about, I want you to have the best in it. I want you to fully fulfill your ability within this. And sometimes you need somebody that's willing to hold you to a standard that, that you at times won't be. And, and my dad was always that, that his, his expectations for me when I was young were much higher than mine were for myself. So times. the two things he taught you were you're going to be held to a different standard. And then he came back and put his arm around you and taught and, and why I'm holding you to that. I want you to understand it. Was there a clear picture? Can you remember a story? I can remember, uh, um, there was a, a baseball game as a shortstop and my dad always hit infield outfield and, you know, at our, we were in fourth grade, I think. And my dad hit infield outfield like nobody else did. He, he's hitting lasers um, because he's like, well, if you can field these, then there's no kid in the league that can hit it as hard as I can. So <laughs> if you guys can field what I'll hit at you, then we'll be pretty good, you know. And so that was his, that was his mentality, and, and he did. And um, I remember, you know, went down to field a ground ball, and it took a bad hop and hit me in the mouth and cut my lip. And, and I was like, oh, you know, and grabbing my lip. And I didn't pick the ball up and throw it to first base. My dad's yelling at me. He's going, Jacob, pick the ball up and throw it to first base, finish the play. And I'm like, Dad, I'm bleeding. You know, and I'm yelling. You were yelling across the field here at this point. And he's like, get back there and get ready. Well, he's going to hit me another one. And now now he's a little fired up too. So the next one's hot. It's real hot. Well, it hops up and hits me in the eye. It takes a bad hop and hits me in the eye. Now my eye's cut and I'm bleeding out of my eye. And, uh, again, I... I threw my glove down this time because I was pissed, you know, and I didn't throw the ball back to first, and he is hollering at me. And that was one where my mom was thankfully at the field already for infield, outfield, and she's, you know, I can remember her going, Scott, stop it. And I could tell my dad wasn't happy. I definitely wasn't happy, and I went in the dugout, and that was one of those ones that um, – it it that one uh, brewed a little bit longer, but I can remember specifically after that my dad – after we had both calmed down enough, sitting me down and going, hey, Jake, this is the conversation we had before the year, and you agreed that you wanted me to be your coach. And he said, I'm not doing this to embarrass you. I'm not doing this to make you feel bad. He said, the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to set the standard for everybody else. And if you can figure that out, you're going to achieve great things because people follow you. People respond to you and, and the, the temperature that you set. And he said, so as you go, these guys will. So if, if you'll give up on a place, so will they. But if you won't, they won't. And he said, and then I, as your coach, have the opportunity to hold everybody to that standard because I have first held you to it. And he said, that's why I did this. That's, that's why we're here. It's not because I'm, I'm trying to be mean. I'm not. I'm trying to help you understand um, the influence and potential that you can have 
not just as a player, but, you know, as a leader. Um, I was in fourth grade, right? I think about that and go, man, those conversations were so valuable. And I didn't see it like that at that time. But uh, I think my dad really, um, in so many ways, through those kinds of conversations, helped me to understand that, you know, he, he always used to say, hey, you should be worried when I stop talking to you, when I stop coaching you. That's when you should start to worry. When did that standard, when did that leadership, when did you start owning that? I think when I, uh, when I got into high school, my dad would say these things to me, but I, I don't know that I always fully believed them, but he continued to reiterate them to me. He'd tell me I was, you know, hey, you're, you're the best player, and there's a different expectation with that. There's a different expectation with that, and I don't know if I always fully believed that. And then when I got to high school and, you know, my freshman year, um, I got asked to play on the varsity in all three sports. And it, it I guess, forced me to kind of go, well, maybe my dad was telling me the truth. I think that's when I began to start to think about some of those other things and go, you know, this isn't just my dad telling me this. Um, this may be real. And if so, then maybe these other things are real, too. And and I started to consider it a little bit more and and started to see the, the influence that I could have. And so I think for me, it was really that my freshman year um, in so many ways that as I began to realize um, a gift I had been given, those things that my dad had taught me rang so true that this idea of what, what you're going to do with it. Yeah, it's interesting, Jake, because it was about my freshman year as well. And I'll hear from a lot of college coaches, being a coach's son, and your dad was your coach, and my dad was my coach as well and through high school. That was my upbringing. It was my dad was the coach of everybody in our community. And those coaches will say, because I'll ask them, I'll say, when is it? In the recruiting process, you're looking at kids and everything. When do you, when is the most critical mass? And they say, usually it's their freshman or sophomore year that you see those that take ownership of it. It's about that window of opportunity where they take it and they start to own it and they start to run with it. And for me, that was, I had a youth pastor come into my life about that time that really transformed me, that I was able to learn then, like, poof, uh, <laughs> I, I got to do something because the way I'm wired about perfection, like the, I'm not winning, this is really hard for me. And thankfully, my seeds of faith started about that time. Was there anybody now as you're getting into high school that started to pour into you in that way? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, it was my my freshman year. Actually, uh, In the same way, I got asked uh, to play in that, that fall on the on the varsity football team, and um, I was going to be the backup quarterback, and but I was going to start on defense at corner. So I started all year at corner, and my corner coach was a younger coach that had played football at Western and uh, was a strong believer. And uh, so we began to kind of develop this relationship because he he was really kind of tasked with taking me under his wing and getting me ready um, to play on Friday night. And uh, and man, he he poured into me, you know, in so many ways dealt with me the same way my dad dealt with me and that was awesome for me because by this time I was I loved it I was I was fueled by that right and uh he was the track coach he was the sprint coach on in the track team and so I asked him if he would take me through the sprint workouts before school so I could get faster because I you know go to baseball after school and so he'd pick me up in the morning every day before school in the winter or in the spring and um I'd do whatever the sprinters were going to do that day um to, to work on my speed and and uh and he he was there faithfully every morning picking me up and and man he you know there was mornings that I was throwing up and he wasn't taking it easy on me and and I had asked him to do something and he was doing it and uh in my sophomore year he became the head coach 
And uh, I was going to be the starting quarterback that year. And uh, he asked if uh, I would be interested in doing a Bible study at, at my house with a few of the other guys. And he would, he would lead us in it. And, uh, and I agreed to do that. Um, really because this guy had built so much relational capital with me that uh, I said, yeah, heck yeah, I'd, I'd explore that. Um, and we did. And, and I think early on, outside of those seeds that my mom had always planted and faithfully planted, I think that, that was uh, the one, the first one where it was really sitting down and, and we went through the Purpose Driven Life uh, by Rick Warren. And, and 40 weeks, right? We studied a week, uh, um, a day a week, right? And... Uh, that was cool. That was, you know, to, to, for this personal relationship to come alive, that was the first time for me that it did. And, and I started to see that and feel that. And um, I'd love to say that I was, I was uh, committed to pursuing and following him from that, but I wasn't. Um, I, I became a fan of Jesus, uh, not a follower. And uh, I thought, oh, man, this guy's pretty cool. And I can get on board with some of these things. But I didn't want it to the point where it inconvenienced my life. I wasn't interested in that. And uh, that's kind of... That was my first big seed, I think. I know we all want to make a difference, but how do we go about doing that? And who can we trust? Well, join me, along with athletes, churches, and over 800,000 U.S. fans of Compassion International and sponsor a child today. Simply visit Compassion.com slash above. I'll tell you this, I became a fan, I think like a lot of folks in this market did, in the state title game when you were in high school. And I remember being, I was, I think, in the NFL at that point, or, or nearly done, and man, this guy, look at this warrior out there. You, you didn't, guys didn't run a lot of plays, you, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a ton of variety. You played more talented team, at least physically on paper, but here, you, here was just this warrior that was just running and taking guys on, and... And ultimately, you choose the University of Washington, uh, where I was at school years and years before you. I think a lot of fans gravitated towards you at that moment. Could you feel some of that adoration? I could. I could. And, you know, I, growing up where we did, um, I didn't go to a lot of college. I didn't go to any college games until I started getting recruited. I didn't go to professional games. Like Ferndale High School being a Golden Eagle was like the big time for me. And I can remember that very clearly. You know, I... I got to go to for an illegal football camp and baseball camp and basketball camp, and those guys that were playing were my heroes, sports heroes, right? They were the guys that I looked up to and idolized. And um, So, man, when I got there, I'm like, this is the big time. I, we're there, right? And then um, I started to get recruited, and I'm like, huh, you know, I, to be completely honest, it was like, huh, you know, yeah, okay, cool. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm good enough to play there. And, uh, and it, you know, that evolved through my junior and senior year to, again, I think kind of that realization that, that yeah, you, uh, you do belong uh, in that place. And, and I think that's where some things changed a lot, you know, personally for me, though, too, because with the adoration, I think, came a personal pressure um, that, that I began to feel as well. Why Washington? For me, it was, to be 100% honest, well, this is above and beyond, okay? Yes. <laughs> it, it, the greatest reason why is because it was the shortest drive back home. And so that's why I chose Washington, because I could be home fastest. As some of that adoration came, yep. that's when some of the personal pressure began? Yeah, a little bit. I don't think I fully understood it until um, 
I started playing, but I began to recognize that there was a lot more people than I was accustomed to paying attention to what I was doing and the results that I was creating. To that point, to be honest, stuff was pretty easy for me in high school. You know, I worked really hard because I felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, success in large part came naturally. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way at all. It just it was the reality of it. Well, when you're 6'3 and 220 pounds and ran 4'5, and, and I'm not saying these things, these were gifts that God gave you. Totally. Your dad knew that you were, you know, had some of these gifts. And if you were going to maximize them and work your butt off, which you did, there were some God-given physical giftings that you had. And it led many to say, man, he's going to save the UW program. They were 0-12, and, and they're a total mess and disaster. And here comes the Savior, and he's such a nice guy, and he's such a quiet kid, and he's such a... That, I mean, all of this did start to mount. And, and then you get to Washington, and it was bleak. I mean, when you came, it was in some bleak times, and Sarkeesian was there to help turn it around, but you were going to be the impetus. Yeah, you used a few of the terms that, as I reflected on it, you know, it carried a lot of weight, you know, and, and especially now in my life to, you know, to know like the savior, I, I can remember seeing a, um, the front page of the times and it was a, it was a huge picture after the state championship. And it's, I think it was titled Washington football savior. Um, I didn't realize the magnitude of that at that time when I first saw it and looking back on it, um, yeah, that was that was that was big. I mean, that that was that was heavy, and I and I began to feel that as my career kind of um, started and continued at UW. You said you were a fan of Jesus, but not a follower. Yeah, was that a similar path through your collegiate years? Yeah, definitely. And I would say I began to wander a little bit more through my collegiate years. Um, uh, started, you know, I was a kid that. Uh, because I didn't think it would give me the best chance to accomplish goals. Um, I didn't drink, didn't do drugs, didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, stayed away from it. Um, not because I was more morally aligned. I just, I wanted to, when I realized I had a chance to go play, I wanted to play. So I was going to stay away from it. And, uh, you know, then I, uh, I, my first year in college, I didn't. And, uh, after my first year, I was 19. I turned 19. I was young, so I turned 19 after my first year in college, and we went up to Canada, and I was legal. Uh, drank for the first time there, and that really began uh, kind of a entry into kind of this party life that I lived. I don't know a whole, if a whole lot of people knew I did while I was in college, um, or to the extent that I did when I was in college, and and I think that was a time when it became a coping mechanism for me to be somebody that I to kind of get away from some of those pressures for at least a night and not feel like I had kind of the weight on my shoulders that I did feel at times. I appreciate you being vulnerable. It's not often that you get that at 20 years of age or 19 years of age. You know, we taped this with Ryan Leaf last year and uh, he walked through a lot of his challenges that didn't hit him until he was deep into professional football at 19 you could start to feel some of that weight on you. You started to feel some of the need for a coping mechanism to get away. Yeah, and I don't know if I saw it that clearly at the time. I think it was more as I reflected on it, why it was so appealing. And I think that's why it was appealing to me. Um, because I knew, you know, I'd wake up and I wouldn't feel good about it. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel great when you wake up and you're not quite sure what happened for a portion of the night, right? That doesn't feel awesome. And yet you would continue to do it. And, and as I reflected on why, I think a lot of it was... I could be somebody that I wasn't expected to be all the time. 
and I could, I, I could be, uh, I didn't have to be perfect for that six hours or whatever. And, uh, it was a way for me to control that because I didn't feel like I had that a lot of other times. And so much, Jake, not only of the press in this town was about your football prowess. It was what a great guy. What a Jake is just as good as it's going to ever get. Like this is just salt of the earth, blue collar. Were those misaligned? Did you did you feel some of that as well? Did you know that that was some of the characterization? I did. Yeah, I did. And and you know, I did believe for the most part that I I made a strong effort to be kind and considerate and to be thoughtful of other people. I, um, I did try to be really intentional in those things because I that's how I was taught. That's how I was raised. But there was this these times when I kind of threw all that out the window and I probably hurt a lot more people than I know. And, and I regret that. I wish I would have realized that earlier um, and, and found a found a way to deal with that much more effectively. Was there counsel? Did you have folks saying, hey, man, this ain't the healthiest. Yeah. I know how this ends. Yeah, I did, actually. And, you know, from people that I wouldn't have expected, but I did a few times here and there and like, hey, this isn't this isn't who you are heard about this and this isn't who you are and just through some friend of a friend or whatever and um and then actually my senior year at UW uh you know Doug Nussmeyer was a a huge impact in my life uh, at the UW a coach that um when I couldn't sit down with my dad I'd sit down with Doug and and I was real with him and honest with him and he was awesome I love that man um but he I remember, uh, you know, one of the practices for the uh, Holiday Bowl, we had, you know, how many ever, three or four weeks off, and we had a couple of days off, and a, a teammate had a birthday party, and so we had all went out for the birthday party, we had practice the next day, and you could still smell it on me the next day, and he smelled it, and he was he was pissed, rightfully so. He, you know, spoke a lot of truth to me at that time, and Basically, it was going to be a day where I wasn't doing much. Well, I ended up doing a whole heck of a lot, and I, he wore me out. Um, and I'm so thankful he did because there wasn't a whole lot of other people that would have intervened in that way, and he was willing to. And, uh, man, I look at that and go, gosh, that in, in a small way, he helped me to realize that I wasn't being consistent with who I wanted to be and who he saw me as. And I think that that was uh, – it was at that time that I was really beginning to consider some of that stuff and decisions like that on his part really weighed heavy on me. Talk to me about the pressure, Jake, because I've also felt that and sensed that more in this generation of players than I did 20 years ago. And in talking, as I said to these coaches through the years, the amount of pressure and you see it with, with QBs, especially so many schools, nervous breakdowns. How did you cope with the pressure of being the savior of Washington? The way I always dealt with that was I'm going to work harder. Yeah. If I work harder, I can account for that, right? And so how am I going to – I'm going to work harder. That's That can fix it. And so, man, I, it, it's really what drove me. My fear to fail is what drove me. It was it was my number one driver that I didn't want to be seen as a failure. And so I was going to work as hard as I could to make sure that wasn't the case. And uh, that's what drove me. I think that's where – in a healthy way, somewhat healthy way, I was able to escape that pressure as far as wear myself out when we were lifting or running or, or throwing. It was like, I'm going to do everything I can to know that as far as what I could control, I left it. I left everything that I had there. And I can say that was one of my main coping mechanisms. Before we transition to 
in the NFL. You met your wife in college. Yep. As I did. It's amazing how parallel, I didn't even realize this, how parallel so many of our paths were, Jake. I met my wife, you met yours, both collegiate athletes. Now tell me about your special one that you met in college. She has shaped your life. Yeah, totally. Um, I think uh, the beauty of having this, as I talked about my mom earlier, how my mom, the way in which she loved my dad, um, I get to experience that with my wife now. And, um, you know, our relationship is different because we're different people, but the patience and the kindness and my wife has always seen the best in me and, um, and not been afraid to hold me to that standard and not been afraid to, um, to challenge me, uh, when I'm not doing it personally. And I think those were the things that, uh, in a time in my life, as, as you probably know, um, there wasn't a lot of relationships, um, with women that that was the case. And that's what drew me to my wife is she was real and she was genuine and she knew who I was and, um, and she was willing to hold me to that standard, um, because she wanted to be with the guy that she, she saw me as and not the knucklehead that I could be at times. How challenging was that in college? You guys started dating late in college? We started dating right before my redshirt sophomore year. So my third year, um, she was in going into her last year. So that spring would have been her last softball season. I look back and it's funny how you can forget some of the challenging moments amidst the joy that you get to share in marriage now. And, um, but there was, there was trying times and, you know, I, I, sh- I share this I'm not ashamed of it, but you know, this is just gives you a picture of who my wife was before we were married in my life. And, um, you know, she was with me through a lot of the stupid decisions I was making. And I can remember going, uh, for a teammate's 21st birthday, um, going to the Ram. Um, and, uh, I got, I snuck in, I wasn't 21 yet and, uh, uh, drank too much. And, um, my wife actually had to carry me out of there and get me home and my now wife. And, uh, I woke up, uh, the next morning, rolled over and had a note on my bed and, uh, she had wrote me a note said, Hey Jake, here's a list of things that I thought you should know you did last night. Cause I know you won't remember them. And, uh, and then, you know, I read through the whole list and down at the bottom it said, and, uh, and if you want to know if I'm disappointed in you, yes, I am. And, you know, it was things like that where I think, um, you know, some people may be like, oh, that, you know, she's just kicking you when you're down. It's like, no, she's not. She knew, she knew who I was and who I really wanted to be. And she wasn't, she wasn't willing to allow me to be somebody less than that. And, uh, and gosh, I just. I look at that and go the grace and the kindness and patience that she showed me when she didn't have to. We hadn't made a, a covenant commitment to one another yet. We were dating. Um, she could have she could have left at any time, um, and I presented plenty of opportunities too. Um, and I, I I think she always saw. Um, honestly, uh, as crazy as it sounds, I think she always saw the man that God had designed me to be, and she was she was waiting for me to become that guy. So many young men today are trying to be this like perfect thing. Well, I've got to do this. I got to get my job and I got to be this right. And I got to get my house in order in order for, you know, to lead my wife or what have you, rather than the impact and the role that our girlfriends, fiancés and wives can have in helping shape us. And my wife, Molly, has changed me and shaped me. Oh, you're just looking for this perfect thing. that You've got to be this perfect way, but you don't realize this may be the one 
that the Lord has for you to shape you and to grow you and to evolve you and to bring your gifts out. And Lauren helped do that for you. Definitely. And I think that's, that's the beauty of marriage. It's not perfect and never will be. It's two imperfect humans coming together. And uh, yet in, in that covenant, I think more than any, um, you have the opportunity to model the love that Christ shows us and that unconditional love, because I know you better than anybody. Um, it's easiest to uh, love them conditionally uh, because you're with them all the time. And I think, man, when, for me, having the realization um, in the last three or four years that the way I love my wife will be the greatest legacy that I leave behind for my children and for those around me, um, the way I love in my marriage um, will be the greatest testament to who and what I believe in. I find myself talking value all the time on my sports show, but there's no better value than what I find at 38 bucks a month, creating such incredible change in the life of a child in poverty. Food, education, medical care, all in the name of Jesus. I hope we can all make room for that. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com slash above. If the image of the Savior of Washington is one, the other image I think a lot of us in this town have is after you beat USC in the picture of your dad, in the embrace and the hug and the emotion of that picture, to me is like I can close my eyes and still picture that as much as any other image from you. Can you take me to that moment? Yeah. Um, that I think was just a culminating point for so many things. Um, but, you know, uh, we had sh- I'd shared with you earlier, my parents didn't miss a game. Um, college, they were at every one, home and away. And they were just such a amazing support system, mom and dad. And uh, I think just all the time that my dad had invested in me as an athlete. Um, and as a young man, I think that to the way that game played out, um, the way it ended, um, the fashion in which we won, I, I personally just felt was so, it was a culmination of everything my dad had poured into me to that point. It was being successful, but doing it in a way that it was controlling the things that you could, and it was fighting and it was never given up. And it was, um, it was sacrificing for the betterment of, you know, all these things. I just felt like it was, it was that culmination and to win that game in that way when um, where we were at as a program, as a team, uh, community, I, I just, you know, it was special. And to see everybody come on the field after the game like that and then just, you know, <laughs> to find my dad even, right? It was just, you know, and, and I can remember, I can remember people grabbing me and grabbing my dad and people were trying to get us to be where we could see each other where we could get together and that was just so special um it was one of those memories that i think uh you know when you bring it up it just it creates emotion now even because it was so it was so much bigger than sport at that point it was the ground ball to the mouth totally it was a ground ball to the eye right i mean it was that back and forth of father and son it and even as you say it, it's just some of the, it's easy to reflect on now, but all the biblical virtues that were there of the sacrifice and the work ethic and the commitment and the dedication and that you are called 
to a higher standard, and there was adversity. And here is a moment of incredible triumph over Pete Carroll's USC team, right, and this national title team that came in here in that moment. It's probably an embrace that is even we sit here years and years later, you can still feel. Totally. Um, you know, it's a picture. I got it in, in our uh, shop at the house, and I just saw it the other day, actually, and had some friends that are kind of in transition, so they were staying out there. And, um, you know, they said, you know, that's a really cool picture. And even just them drawing attention to it created this just overwhelming emotion in me. And it's like, yes, one of my, uh, one of my favorite pictures I own. So Jake Locker gets drafted. Take me to draft day. Take me to the feelings and the emotions, all the pressures and the ups and downs at Washington. Yeah. And again, a career that somewhat paralleled mine of some really cool highs, ultimately of not Rose Bowls and national championships and some of the expectation level that came with the savior. But uh, an amazing career nonetheless that gets you drafted in the first round of the NFL and the Tennessee Titans come calling. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, again, just – uh, childhood dream. I think you know. You look back, and um, you know, as much as I wanted to be a Ferndale athlete, I, I do remember being Ken Griffey in the backyard hitting rocks. You know, and somehow it was always a three-two count bottom of the ninth. And if I hit a ground ball, it was foul. If I hit a home <laughs> run, then it was the game winner for yep. sure. You know? <laughs> so I remember that you know very vividly. And so it was just again, it was I think one of those moments when I got I was at you know at my aunt and uncle's house in their garage and um, with my family and friends from Ferndale. I didn't expect to get drafted by them. I thought, uh, honestly, I thought that the highest I'd be taken was 12 to the Vikings. I thought I was pretty sure that that's where I was going to go. And so, you know, I wasn't really even ready. I kind of, we had kind of been like, hey, pick 12 is kind of when we need to start paying attention. And, and it came across and it was like, you know, just so many people that um, it was, I think, uh, neat to see and, and, a special experience that I had so many people that were actually rooting for me to succeed and, and wanted me to do well and wanted to see some of these things come to fruition for me. And that was special. You're a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus at that point? Fan. We've dealt with the pressure through hard work, through some coping mechanisms, some unhealthy ones. Yep. The NFL, if you thought the collegiate game was one of pressure, <laughs> Uh, when you're a first-round NFL quarterback that's there with coaches' jobs, GM's jobs, president's jobs, like you're going to be the guy in the face to now resurrect this program. Now it's the NFL level. Yep. Does the pressure mount? Yeah, definitely. That happened pretty quick. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of another step in that process and, and realizing that early on. I, I would say by the grace of God, they brought in Matt. And that, you know, Matt, uh, I know you have a good relationship with Matt. Matt Hasselbeck, the first podcast and above and beyond. Yeah. And so they, they brought him in and, uh, man, um, I can honestly say I was excited about it at the time because I was going to have the opportunity to learn from somebody who'd done it a long time and been successful doing it. Um, I didn't know how fortunate I was to be in that situation. Because you got introduced to a true follower of Jesus. Yes. Just this man that uh, it was different than me, different than me in so many ways. Um, just personality-wise, we were different. But, man, I was drawn to him. He was authentic, and he was real, and he was okay being known. He was okay sharing, boasting, and his weakness. He was okay with that. He did it frequently, actually. I think he made a point of doing it. And 
it was appealing to me. The other quarterback had been drafted the year before, and then Rusty Smith. Um, he was, you know, I sat in a lock, locker between these two guys. Well, um, Rusty was, you know, born and raised in Florida, strong Southern accent, and the word of God was truth, and it was black and white, and there was no way around it. We developed a friendship because we liked to spend time outdoors and hunt, and so we spent a lot of time together. And we were in the quarterback room, and as much as I may have thought that his, you know, he was way too strong in his approach. I respected him because he was a buddy of mine, and, and I respected how he led his life. I didn't always see eye to eye with him, but I respected him. So I had these two guys my first year that it wasn't an overnight thing, but it was a consistent process that they challenged me to just think in different ways um, and really culminated. Uh, we got pregnant, uh, my wife and I, going to have our first child. Matt and Sarah invited us to professional athletes outreach uh weekend conference christian conference um they said they'd you know pay our way to go if we wanted to go and I said oh heck it's a four days in florida at a beautiful resort why not right uh we like these guys we could spend some time with them you know great so we did and the seeds were planted totally <laughs> i love telling the story because i think it's so funny um but we go and i was still you know i, I wasn't opposed to it at all um you're a fan. I was a fan, but I knew this was going to be much more of a follower event. I didn't know, I didn't understand that fully like I do now, but I did know that it was going to be a little more involved than what I had chose to put. And I knew, I knew all these things that this baggage that I was kind of coming in with. And I was, I was protected, I think for a lot of reasons because of that, because I felt like I had to be, I had to be somebody, but uh, who I really knew I was was a little bit off of what I was expected to be guarded, guarded hundred percent. And so, um, you know, we got there and sat down and, and the is going to be the, the worship leader for the weekend. Well, I grew up with, you know, Garth Brooks and Tim McGraw and, and, uh, George Strait and, you know, like the, the classic eighties and nineties country. That's what my dad listened to. That's what I listened to. So, you know, he's going to be the worship leader. And I was like, at that time, I'm like, rap music is the last thing I want to listen to, right? And so, but before he ever sings his first song, he shares his testimony. It's like 10 minutes. And about five minutes in, there's probably 500 people in the room. I, I honestly felt like it was him and God and I having a conversation. And I felt like he was speaking to me. And he was right here. And we were having a conversation. And he was explaining my life to me. And he was just talking about, hey, he was this chameleon, and uh, he could be one person with a certain set of people and another person with another set of people. And, and he was living this, this double life, and neither of them was authentic. Both of them were fake. And, and it was at that point that he realized he needed to make a choice, whether he was going to be all in or not in at all. And it was speaking to me. God put him in my life at that time to get my attention and to get my attention for good. It started with that interaction that testimony honestly and then carried throughout the weekend because i was engaged in the weekend like i wouldn't have been um my wife and i ended up getting baptized together uh that weekend uh, at the end of that weekend and uh, uh not perfectly but faithfully following him since that moment and you become a follower you go from fan to follower in a weekend and then what and then how does all of now a follower of jesus fall in line with being a husband, everything that you witnessed growing up, and ultimately this this game, this 
this podcast, this intersection now of a follower, a faithful follower, with now a sport. How did that work? It got challenging. It got really challenging. Um, I think that the most common misconception when you engage and step in, make that choice to be all in, is that life's going to be easy. Oh, from here on out, you know, you got no worries, and, and it's easy. It's the gravy train. It's not. It's not. I realized, and I'm thankful that I had grew up in it, but um, I, I began to realize that because I, something inside of me desired to, the way I love my wife was different. It was going to be different, and it should be different than what the world was, thought was acceptable. Um, the way you steward your children should be different. It should be different. It should look different. The way you interact should look different. Um, not because you're better, not because you're more capable, none of those things, but because you know, because you're informed and you know the standard that, that you um, have chosen to be held to. And that's what I began to learn. And, and that was a wrestle and continued to be in. And I think that I look at my career after that and had a lot of injuries and and. And, and thankfully, I made that commitment before those injuries. And it's, you know, maybe be thinking too much into it, right? But I did a study on Jacob, the character of Jacob, uh, about three years ago. And, um, you know, he's, original, he's named Jacob because he's the deceiver, right? And, and then he wrestles with God and he's left with this physical ailment and uh, this limp that helps remind him of God's faithfulness, of God's desire for him to walk hand in hand with one another. And it's just this constant reminder that uh, to never depart from God, that, that he is good and he's faithful and he's kind and he's just. And if you'll just trust in him, um, it may not be easier. It, it, it may not be known, um, but you can have faith that he will protect you. He will guide you and he will steward you. And I felt like that's where I, that journey that I went on, and the injuries were hard, and I had a lot of questions for God. I wrestled big time with him because I was working hard. I was doing things the right way. Why? I can honestly remember going to him being, why are you punishing me? Why are you punishing me for doing the right thing? Why are you punishing me for following you? Um, and it was in those questions, it was in those challenges, in that wrestle that I found uh, the authentic God that I know today. And it was, it was ultimately what led me to the places that I am here and can, and continue to be. And it, it, it really was one of those areas after the commitment that really propelled me to that maturation of faith and, and the understanding of the, the power and the beauty of your maturation in faith that we always, we should always be on that journey. I don't know if it's fair to characterize that you close the door versus the NFL, but there was still opportunity for you to play. There's still people that wanted Jake Locker to play in the NFL. And ultimately, you walk away uh, with health, you walk away with peace, and it left, I think, a lot of people on the outside wondering, why? Oh, yeah. For six months, I was the stupidest guy a lot of people knew. Um, and I was okay with that. I was at peace with that. And I think... Uh, for me, this is this is my story, and I don't think that it's fair for me to project it on anybody else. Uh, but for me, uh, this this was the truth for me, and um, I felt like I was addicted to the game of football. That I did feel this obligation, still felt this obligation to the game, to my teammates, to the organization, because of the investment they had made in me. 
and I wanted to be successful and I didn't want to fail. And I think I began to see, uh, the extent of that commitment. And, and as, as I, for me personally, as, as I began to more deeply understand this commitment that I had made to my wife and that I hadn't as publicly as a marriage ceremony, but, but obviously in the decision that my wife and I made to bring children into this world, that then I had a commitment to them as well. And, and just, I think thinking back to some of those things that I found so valuable in my childhood with my dad and my mom and, and the things that I cherished most weren't the accomplishments. Uh, wasn't the praise, wasn't the, the, the glory that you lived your life for. It was the time and it was the presence, um, of my family. And, uh, and I wanted my kids to have that. I wanted my wife to have that. Um, and I watched people, Matt being one of them, do it really well. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, it was hard for me. I can remember, um, rushing my kids to bed, being upset that they weren't falling asleep and they were joking around and getting mad because I knew I had film to watch, um, or I wanted to watch because I want to be prepared for the next day. And I couldn't figure out how to balance that. And, and so I think for me, it was one of those decisions that I was at peace with. Um, it was a big decision. I don't know if the world still gets it. You still run into people that say, I can't believe it. Cause I do. I told folks I'm, you know, uh, going to have a chance to do a podcast with Jake An old NFL guy goes, I, I don't get it. So don't get Jake. How you could walk away from because the world does not get that an Uber talented, physically gifted, amazing athlete that the NFL says, ah, man, I'm, did calls still come? So, you know, that was the interesting part of the journey. I can remember when uh, I was choosing to get married and I had a lot of people saying, Hey, you need to get a, uh, prenup. Yeah. I said, that sounds like it's plan B. And I said, I'm not getting married to have a plan B. I, I'm planning, I'm marrying this woman cause I'm committing to be her husband. And it felt like that in so many ways that like, Oh, I'm confident in this decision, but if there's a good offer that comes in. And, and so for me, I, I really took the time on the front end to go, you know what, where are you being led and listen to it? And have enough faith that that is where you're really being led, that there isn't a opportunity that would, um, because ultimately it would have come down to money, like an offer and, and money. And I didn't want to make a decision because of that, because uh, I knew that's not, I got to the place where that wasn't what was going to, that's not who I wanted my kids to know me as. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I no, I actually told uh, my agent, I said, you know, I'm thankful for what you guys have done, but unless I tell you different, I don't want to, I don't want to hear about anything. Um, I'm making this decision and it's my permanent decision. Um, and it, there's not a situation that would change my mind. And, uh, I, you know, you tell them I'm grateful, but, um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to entertain it. Jake, it's a pretty amazing story arc is what we've sat here today. And I feel like I've known you a long time just in our community and watching you and met you in college on a few different occasions. And I think I even did a couple of your college games as a broadcaster way back when, but your story arc and it ends with family. But you know, what really started in Ferndale with your dad is that example, that loving example is really now is a follower of Jesus of what you're doing with your family and you're okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. I'm really happy. And I think, you know, I, I look at my life now and go, 
gosh, what's, what's, uh, if you have a fear, what is it? And it's, um, I want, I want to create the same environment my parents created. And I look at it and go, man, I think that's high standard and I want to live up to it. And that's what I'm chasing. And, um, gosh, I pray like heck that I can. I pray like heck that I can because uh, it was a special environment to grow up in. And what's next? What's your heart desire now? What do you long to do? Well, I look back at that, Brock, and, and what joy. Why was it so much joy for me? Because it was the first time in my life that I really trusted God with the unknown. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't walk away with something to walk into. I had no idea. Um, and I'd never done that. I'd never committed to God never audibly spoke to me. I didn't have that experience, but I knew that I was being called in a different direction, but I didn't know where I had no idea. Um, and you know, getting to see the fruition of some of that now in my life. So what's my plan? Gosh, I, I hope that it's it's me fulfilling the Lord's will for my life, and it's I hope that it's me continuing to trust in the steps He'd take me that are unknown at times, and a lot of the time that I would be faithful enough, and I would believe in His goodness enough in my life um, that I'd go into places that I didn't know how it was going to work out. I couldn't see what the end game was, and that I'd lean on Him throughout it. What an amazing way, Jake, to really encapsulate what faith is all about, to step into some places where you don't know exactly what will happen or what the Lord will have for you. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us. It will be the first of 15 stories in season two of Above and Beyond. Every two weeks, you can download every episode. You can find all the details at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com. Yeah.